So welcome everybody to today's episode of the Independent Teacher Podcast. And I'm really pleased to be joined by Paul Hopkins today from the University of Hull. So welcome, Paul. Thanks very much. Nice to be here. Great. Now, we are going to mainly be focusing on the topic, the really interesting topic of homework, particularly looking at primary schools. But just to give our listeners some context, could you very briefly tell us about your own academic background and your current role at the moment? Sure. So I've been teaching now for about 30 years in various places, um, involved in primary and secondary and higher education. Currently, I work as a lecturer in education at the University of Hull working on the primary and secondary teacher education programs, but also on the master's programs and research programs. Uh, my research particularly is around primary science and technology, but I'm interested also in this whole question about teaching and learning. Um, and this is where the idea and um, things came out within primary schools and homework. So your interest was, is in primary school homework. Um, why, why did you start to look at that? I think because for primary school children, there's a very different experience of education generally. And I think one of my concerns has been over the last perhaps 10, 15 years is there's been a bit of an imposition of sort of secondary school methodology or secondary school approaches into the primary sector. And in fact, even further down into the early years sector as well. And of course, that huge and big difference is that when you go from primary school to secondary school, you go from having almost certainly just one classroom teacher who you know very well and have very strong relationships with, hopefully positive, uh, into the secondary school where you might have eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 different teachers. So there's a very different kind of balance. And I think, again, so many policies, uh, in my opinion, um, have been driven by a sort of more secondary school going downwards approach. And I want really to highlight the importance of um, the primary school ethos and the primary school classroom as something really quite different. And homework is one of those things that has popped up as a sort of factor that is quite different uh, in the primary school, the early years classroom as opposed to second classroom. And when we're talking about homework per se, um, what would it look like in the primary school? I think we all know what it probably looks like in the in the secondary school sector. What does it look like in the primary school sector? Uh, and I think going slightly backwards and forwards is that question of, you know, why do we do homework and what's the purpose of it uh, overall? And you're right, very much in the secondary school, the focus is on normally uh, either practice of stuff that you've done in the classroom, so revision and rehearsing and revising of stuff, sometimes preparation for new tasks in the classroom uh, and consolidation of work. And of course, very particularly, um, and I speak as a, a parent of a child in year 11 at the moment, that preparation for statutory and um, compulsory examinations, that's all very strong things. Primary is quite different in terms of that, um, in terms of that purpose uh, of why you want children to be doing homework. So there's still something around practice, definitely. and really the kind of things that are picked up that children do in primary schools and homework are reading practice is a really big one. I'll come back to that. Things like spelling practices, perhaps early arithmetic and number practices, those kind of things that are, that are set up of the kind of things that they would do. Um, but I do think also there's this sort of underlying psychological factors as well. You know, is homework seen as a good thing? The sort of thing that if you're doing homework, somehow it's adding to the value that the child's getting. And I think that's also something we have to question. So, I mean, um, for example, if we just look at the amount of time that's recommended, and this is going to be very varied, that the last guidance I could find that was sort of fixed time was right back to David Blunkett, when there were suggestions that early years children should do about 20 minutes homework, that should rise up to about 30 minutes in primary schools, and then that should go up to about 
an hour or so in key stage three and then sort of two hours in key stage four. And again, although I want to focus on primary, if we just think about that, if you're a secondary school child and that's two hours a day, you know, that's an extra 10 hours a week, possibly weekends as well, because there are recommendations for that. So suddenly you could be on 15 hours a week above your sort of 30, 35 hours in school. Well, that's more than a full time job. Um, now, if we take that back to very young children, we know they get tired quite quickly, you know, in a, a day that starts at 8, 830. They're leaving school then at three o'clock. And um, to do things after that, I think it's a big problem. Am I not right in thinking, though, that with some parents in the primary school sector, there is a real expectation that that extra time is incredibly valuable in terms of how the pupil will progress. And so whenever you're trying to make changes as a school, in terms of how much homework you set in the primary school sector, you, you might be having to do a really good PR job on the parents who might see, you know, cutting down of homework as being something that is not necessarily beneficial and can be seen in a negative rather than a positive light. It, it can be. And again, of course, there are so many layers here of what's happening. So I think you're absolutely right. If there is an expectation from some parents uh, that this will you know, make their child or help their child do better. And there's certainly a little bit of evidence around that in terms of things like early reading, mm. for example. I think but the important stress here is that that's often reading with children, not just reading to children. But that's about discussion and conversation and questioning. So talking about the stories, which I think is the kind of thing that most parents would probably naturally want to do. Although we'll come back to some of the barriers to that perhaps in a minute. Um, other things like you know, early counting, arithmetic, Again, you know, none of those things can be negative, I don't think. But uh, there are some um, questions which come up. Again, I think in, well, first of all, just you might say social justice issues about who has the time and the resource, et cetera, to access those things. Or, and I think we've all experienced this in various ways, or those of us in education, perhaps slightly less so, but, you know, things change. So the ways that the school does things now is different. I mean, just quite simply, the newest curriculum in primary schools is the curriculum that started in 2014. Now, I'm hoping there are no parents who were, you know, parents in 2014, as it were. That's only seven years ago, eight years ago. Uh, so, you know, that for most parents, the curriculum they had at school 20 years ago, 25 years ago, 30 years ago in their own primary schools is quite different, the kind of things that are happening now, uh, particularly, for example, in relation to reading. So schools will almost certainly be using a very particular reading scheme or reading approach. And it might well be that the school um, wants the parents to be involved in that and house guidance and support. But I think one of my big worries there is, well, two things really. The first is, is can the parents be helpfully supported? And are all parents equally able to access that? And I, and I don't want to sound at all patronising. Mm. It really isn't. It's just that, you know, the, the opportunities that different people have at different times. I mean, if I caricature, you know, I'm very lucky that I live in a a sort of very middle class household with lots of space and time. Um, and for us doing these kind of things is much more opportunity. We have much more opportunity. If you're living in a shared bed sit somewhere um, and you're working two jobs, that becomes much more complex and difficult. If your English is additional language, et cetera, et cetera. So that kind of access and issues, I think, really worries me in terms of homework coming home. And the other is, so what does the school do? You know, if, if you've got some children who are accelerating on or doing other things, how does the school as well manage and cope with that in a class of, of 30 children who are then coming back with 
a whole range of different kinds of things. So I think there are some really big management issues around what's expectation. Now, to come back to your point there, which is a really good point about expectations of parents, yes, I think one of the big things here is having to manage this and have conversations. I've always liked the model, um, and again, and this is, I think, very primary, is that there are sort of three stakeholder groups in a primary school. The first of those is obviously the school staff, the institution, the teachers, the teaching assistants, but everybody, the cleaners, the cooks, um, the TAs, uh, the lollipop lady or man, or the crossing patrol guard as they now are, but all of those as part of the school. Uh, school governors, etc., uh, which of course may overlap with the second big cohort group, which is the parents and carers, um, who should really, really be involved. And we certainly see this in terms of volunteers and such like in schools, in primaries, much more strong than secondaries. And then the third group, of course, is the children. Um, and I think that that sort of those three groups together, there needs to be a lot of working together and clarity in terms of what can go on. So I think, and I think homework comes into all of that as well in managing those expectations. Is it not the case that some of those pupils will struggle to do any kind of independent learning activity, which is very much now part of the secondary school approach to homework. And yes, it can be. I mean, again, of course, there's this huge variety there. So some secondary schools will do very structured homework. It can be very much about revision uh, tasks or about restructuring tasks or about rehearsal tasks. So the retrieval practice is coming in very strongly, you know, that you you reinforce and learn more of the things that you're doing in the classroom to, to, to establish that. And that comes in, in primary schools as well. Mm. But yes, uh, you know, the range of abilities we often talk about, you know, year three class might be children around about, um, you know, seven to eight years old. But in fact, the cognitive ability range in that. And in fact, that's worth coming back to, I think, at this point to say that what the research seems to indicate, although it's quite lacking in primary schools, that's also important to say there's not been enough research into primary homework, much more about secondary, is actually the link between homework and what we might call academic achievement. And I'm cautious of that term, but things like, you know, uh, the phonics screening check, the times table check, uh, key stage one and key stage two SATs, those sort of marker things that are picked up by institutions uh, as progresses of their own success are really very weak. Um, there is no strong evidence at all that doing homework helps children achieve better in those areas. There's much other things, you know, about about social economic situations, about um, the child's support, about financial opportunities within the home that impacts much more strongly on those kind of results than homework. So uh, I think that there's a bit, you mentioned this earlier on, but there's almost a sort of a bit of a fallacy that doing extra work at, at home with your child will get them better SAT results, for example, than standardised tests at key stage two. And there really is very little evidence in that, although it, it's quite limited. I mean, for example, one of the interesting studies from the US, uh, which is probably the biggest study that's been done on primary homework, showed that whilst there was evidence that there was a link between secondary school and achievement, almost nothing in the primary school. And this is backed up again by a whole range of other studies. And I think, you know, if people are interested in that, they're willing to look at, I think, further notes or to contact me if they're interested in the kind of studies. But there really is very little evidence that there's that academic link. Now, you're right. What that might be about is back to that psychology of the parents. You know, the parents feel that they're doing a better job. And perhaps that's about communication again to say to parents, no, you know, it's all right. Don't worry about this. And a simple example of that is that whilst uh, in East Asia, for example, homework is very strong with young children uh, and they do do very well in international comparisons. So to Finland in Europe who have absolutely no homework at all in the primary elementary sector. So again, you know, it's not as simple as saying there's that sort of correlational or causal link at all. And it's interesting, isn't it, that it's an area where the government um, 
isn't really dictating to schools what they should do. Like it's an area where there's so much autonomy, which you don't get very often in, in, in the UK. It's, you know, there's a national curriculum, there's a, you know, there are assessments and then it comes to homework and, you know, there is nothing there really, is there, that is dictated to the schools, which gives them this flexibility, I suppose. Yes, yes I mentioned earlier, uh, David Blunkett, way back, I mean, I'm trying to think of the time this will be, but the last Labour legislation, so we're sort of pre-2010, did have that sort of time diktats, and they were, perhaps diktats is a bit too strong, but time recommendations. These were sort of reinforced by Ofsted around about the, the turn of the century, um, in a sort of, yes, we sort of agree with these time numbers. But then the most recent pronouncement by an education uh, secretary of state was, um, gosh, it's hard to remember, isn't it, secretary of state at the moment, was Damien Hines, I think it was, who basically said, uh, no, leave it up to the head teachers, they know best. So there is very much this idea now of autonomy within schools. And I come back to that. And what you mostly see um, is this support with reading, reading at home, reading with things. And so. Sometimes some independent inquiry. Am I allowed a quick anecdote? Of course you are, yes. Many years ago, when one of my daughters was in um, primary school, their homework task was to make a, um, a Viking longhouse. And perhaps this exacerbates you know, this danger of um, homework um, in terms of opportunity and such. Like, say, we're, we're quite a middle-class household, um, and we have some things called doodle drawers, stolen entirely from a, a CBBT programme, I think it was, where they had these little drawers full of, you know, buttons and cloth and fabric and all sorts of stuff so we went off to our local park and we gathered some sticks and we brought the sticks home and we cut the sticks down you know and we we basically wove those together to make walls of our longhouse and we got some plasticine and and we painted and we made a baseboard and um, and I had great fun making the longhouse and um, my children were even allowed to join in a bit you know <laughs> I exaggerate but of course it was it was a great activity um, and I really like that there's a, an academic called Van der Rot who says homework should have meaning not take too much time, have choice and be motivating. And that was really great for us in our household. Now, we, we really sort of engaged as a family in making this lovely artefact, um, which then sat on the shelf for years before it eventually uh, fell apart. But what if every family had the opportunity to do that? The time, the resource, um, I'm not saying necessarily the skill, I'm not sure my art skills are fantastic. But you see, again, that concern that if that was set as sort of motivational homework to have a real sense of bonding for the families. That was great for us, but was it great for everybody? And then, you know, when the children take in their show and tell, what psychological effect does that potentially have if some children, my child, had that great opportunity of resource and time and support, and other people just didn't have those opportunities? You know, what, what's the psychological impact on the child mm. who, who didn't have the opportunity to make a, a lovely model? Um, and I think... Again, that underpins that concern. But I do like that comment from Van der Rock, you know, about agency and choice. Do, do, do children have a chance to get engaged and involved in things? Um, and perhaps there's a real opportunity for, for homework there within primary schools, and which I know some head teachers do take the opportunity of, of letting children, as it were, get excited about something. Um, and, the, um, and the Americans call it show and tell, don't they? Bring something in which you're excited and talk to the class about it. And that, that I think, is a really potentially very positive thing. Uh, most children are excited about something, mm. typically dinosaurs, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, and it was interesting when Ofsted did a survey of parents um, moderately recently, I think it was 2017, um, about a third of parents felt that homework was stressful and no good and negative. Um, about two thirds thought it had some positive. But it was really nice that one of the things that the parents said in this survey was homework should be meaningful, achievable and engaging. So that same kind of language coming out, not, you know, not it'll help my child do better in tests, 
but actually I want my child to be excited engaged. And again, that might be something that comes out in that big difference between primary and secondary, mm. because it's interesting mm. when you talk about secondary school, the language is often geared more towards success in an academic type terms, not only, of course, mm. uh, but in primary school, there tends to be more language around engagement, excitement, um, dare I say, fun mm. as part of those activities within learning, not just um, achievement in a sort of quantifiable, testable way. Not that's unimportant, but I think, you know, there's a different emphasis and ethos uh, in, in the two sectors. And what are your views about the way in which if you set homework that isn't fun and engaging, that it could prevent as a family, you doing other more interesting and engaging things um, in an evening or at a weekend? I think that comes back again to a really fundamental question, which is what's the purpose of school or schooling? And is schooling the whole of education? And I think often we use these terms in, almost interchangeably and, and perhaps a, a little dangerously. So schooling has very particular purposes. You know, schools are there to do particular things, particularly you might say the delivery of a curriculum. Um, although hopefully wider than that, again, within the primary school, the development of the child. Parenting education in a wider sense is, you're right, something else. And I guess in some ways, you know, on a, on a, a lovely summer evening, would I prefer the child went for a walk around the park and fed the ducks to sound very twee, but rather than, as it were, practicing some spellings? Yeah, I think that is more beneficial if we're thinking more holistically in terms of the development of, of the whole child. Um, and again, perhaps back to agency. You know, uh, you touched again earlier on this is is how will we communicate with parents and such like? And I want parents very much to be involved in this process. So maybe the homework that parents want for their child is a more holistic sense of development rather than, you know, practicing some spellings or practicing some numbers, which they might see very much and not unreasonably as the schooling part of the job. You know, why do my child go to school? This is what they do at school. This is not my job as a parent. Although, again, you know, it's not a simple dichotomy. Um, and parents obviously want to be involved in that process as well. There's, there's quite a lot of research, I mean, away from homework specifically, but when children are asked what they want from their parents, what they mostly say is time. They want to spend time with their parents, with mummy and daddy, with carer, etc. Not, you know, not doing a particular thing. The thing is almost irrelevant um, as long as they're spending time. So maybe, yes, maybe maybe that's good homework. Spend time with your children if you possibly can. Yeah. And the other thing, I, I know we're digressing slightly here. Do you have any views about homework clubs? A little bit, although, again, there's, there's almost no research around this. And what you tend to find is that, um, again, this is quite often revision clubs in secondary are set up for a particular thing. So, again, come back to my daughter in year 11. At the moment, most subjects are having sort of extra sessions or catch-up sessions or reinforcement sessions, post-mocks for particular things. In primary, I think homework clubs, if they exist, are much more geared around the sort of what you might call the extended social day. So this whole question of extended childcare and the necessity of that within primary schools. So homework clubs do tend, if they exist in primary school, to be more what you might call extracurricular type activities rather than things focused particularly on, say, for example, tests. The only exceptions that would be is that I know a number of schools do run an Easter school. Uh, in the Easter holidays before the SAT tests. So um, I know my local primary school, for example, where I used to be a governor, had, uh, I think, two or three days during the Easter break uh, where children could come in and do sort of SAT practice or, or reinforcement practice if they, if that was useful. And some children were encouraged and some children were perhaps less encouraged to do that. Have you done any work on homework, not just in the UK, but, you know, in Europe or 
in the United States or Asia? Yeah. Not, not, again, there's just not vast amounts of research on this. So, so there are a couple of studies coming out. Um, one of the big ones um, from the US, which again is unfortunately quite old now, uh, which was Cooper, and that's way back in the late 1990s. Uh, and that did pick up this idea about um, almost no impact in elementary school, what we call primary school, um, but a stronger impact in secondary. Uh, homework is very varied across um, the continent. Uh, say Finland does almost nothing in primary school at all. Most Scandinavian countries don't. In fact, they, they tend to see primary school uh, much less focused in that way. In fact, I mean, Finland's quite exceptional that they have almost no tests apart from the very end of secondary school anyway. Um, so that's quite unusual. Many of the other countries, of course, have quite regional um, aspects. So, for example, in Germany, um, the education system is set up by the Landa, uh, which is very regional. Um, well, that's true in the US and Canada, for example, as well. So I think policies do tend to change. There's de definitely more of an emphasis on uh, schoolwork and extra work in East Asia uh, than there is in Singapore, China, Beijing, Hong Kong, than there is um, within the Western Europe. And I think to some degree, some of that has carried on within um, particularly sub-Saharan African countries as well, where there's sort of colonial influence to some degree still um, rolling through education systems. Um, but again, that's often, you know, again, a resourcing or an access issue as well. Perhaps one of the, the, the recent changes, um, and there's not been much indication this has carried on, has been post the pandemic with the virtual schooling. So I think there is now more resource available uh, that schools are starting to utilise a little bit more in terms of online resource or online resources that were set up by many schools or nationally during the school closure times. Um, and this is being used to some extent as well. But again, now internationally, there's, there's just there, there hadn't been a number, any number of really big systematic studies. In fact, the, the last sort of systematic study on homework in the UK um, was, I think, Sharp's work, and I think that was 2001. So again, you know, this is all quite a while ago, comparatively. I, mean, I, I think you mentioned it, is that whilst it's seen in secondary schools as something that sort of pushes towards tests and such like, there's been much more giving back to the school's responsibility, which, as you say, is, is more unusual in, in the last 10, 15 years. And of course, probably in the secondary school it's all going to change now with chat gpt that's you know i don't want to go on to no that, so that, that, is, that's a huge it, topic is, we are i think at the i mean there's always a danger and i say one of my areas of research is technology there's always a danger that technology will change everything and it won't change everything and because there are other mitigating and systems in place um, i think what certainly does need to be looked at though is yes how these artificial intelligence engines particularly now the big difference is not that they're new but they're much more easily available and effectively free or very cheap. Whereas in the last 10, 15 years, AI engines have been accessible, but much more specialized. But yes, I've been playing a little bit myself with putting questions in. So, you know, I put the other day something like, you know, tell me three most important things about volcanoes. And, um, and very quickly, it produced an answer that was very comparable. And I know some schools have been playing with this, putting in questions for GCSE questions and getting, you know, grade, nine, eight, seven, six answers very quickly. So I think we'll have to rethink about, you know, what we do in terms of homework, perhaps. Um, mm, definitely. But maybe that's a good thing, you know, in it, a way. It is. What's what's that um, wonderful expression? We may, may you live in interesting times. I think these will be interesting times. <laughs> now, um, a couple of more questions. Sure. What would you, what would you say to uh, a parental body that is demanding homework um what would your advice to be be to those parents 
I think my first question would be why? You know, why do you want your children to have homework? Um, and perhaps then hopefully have a conversation about that because obviously it depends very much on those answers. But if the answers are, oh, well, it'll help my child do better, it's really just to say to them, look, actually the evidence is, is that it won't. I mean, not significantly. I mean, obviously any individual child is not the cohort, but the studies indicate really quite strongly that the impact on academic achievement is not that. I think the second thing is I'd come back to those, I think I really like those statements I mentioned earlier from Van der Rot, which is, well, what do you want homework to do? Do you want it to be about engaging in things in, in your household with your children, in which case, absolutely brilliant. You know, so back to those things, read with your children, make things with your children, go on walks with your children if you have that time. And I think the third thing would be to say to parents, how can we help? So how can we as a school help you do these things? What support do you need? Do you need resource? And can we help with that? Obviously, gosh, fiscally at the moment, schools are in very difficult positions. So, you know, handing out I mean, even the, Brit stick, the eponymous Brit stick, I do believe other brands are available, um, is, is, is tricky enough. But, you know, just things like it could be things like, you know, if you want to make a model, uh, do we need some card at home? And I think there's a great danger. Again, a, a tiny anecdote. The first school I started working in, which was a secondary school, I made the assumption that all children would have some paper and some coloured pens um, and various other. What I thought, well, you know, a ruler, a pair of compasses, perhaps. And, and realised quite quickly in a very deprived area that my expectations were wrong um, and that people did not have, children did not have some of these. Well, I, in my own head, were very basic levels of equipment at home. So, so how can we help with, with supporting and resourcing? But also, how can we help perhaps if you want to help your child do things? Are you aware of how we're doing things at school? So, you know, um, or perhaps even better, can you come into school and spend some time in the class? And then we can sort of help scaffold that together so that you're working in the same ways that we're working. Um, and then finally, I think to say to the parents, and be honest about this, what we can do, what can you do if your child, you know, if your child goes off and you give them you know, 30 extra spelling words, because you think these are great words for the child to learn to spell. Fantastic. What will actually happen when the child comes into school with those new words? You know, we'll be, we'll be able to incorporate that into our curriculum and such like, because you certainly don't want children bursting with enthusiasm coming to school because they've done something at home and then feeling that they can't utilise that. Um, so I think that setting of expectations, uh, support and help uh, and, and sharing of um, support with the sort of three things I say to the parent body. Um, and that's all underpinned by let's talk to each other, you know, which I don't think you can ever do too little of. Well, I think we've covered everything. I am going to throw you a curved ball, though. Oh, no. <laughs> um, and the curved ball is if for one day, just one day, you were to become the UK Education Secretary, and it doesn't have to cover homework, um, and you could make one change... What, what would it be? Gosh, it's, it's an impossible question. I think at the moment, um, for me, one of the, the, the significant barriers in education at, at the moment is the inspection system. Um, schools have lost, I'll go out on a limb here a bit, but my perception is, and the evidence I've seen, is that schools have lost trust in, a, in a, an external, what they don't perceive as an independent inspection system. Now, the idea of having some kind of external body coming in, auditing, reflecting, uh, checking and, and in the past I have worked as an additional inspector um, I think it's really important that there is something there you know it's very hard to see yourself as you know what's that wonderful expression oh to have the wisdom to see ourselves as others see us I think that is a very important thing but I think what in a sense and in one day this would be obviously impossible 
but is to sort of almost put a halt and a review of how inspection is being carried out, because whether it's right or wrong, there's definitely a loss of trust. So I think if I plumped for one, I think it would have to be reform of the external auditing and review system. In the local authority where, where I'm based, one of the things that they do, which I thought was very interesting, was like peer reviews. And I thought that worked really, really well. So, the you know, they're going in there and, and, and they haven't got an agenda as such other than to help and assist and support and put forward a different school perspective rather than an Ofsted perspective I, I'm a great believer it, if you're going to and even the word inspection I think itself comes quite heavily loaded but if you're going to do a peer review and I, li I like that term it seems to me there should be two outcomes either uh, yep things are great you know things are fine you're doing a, a fine job but hey here's some thoughts um, and here's some thoughts from other situations and places that the peer reviewer has seen possibly their own institution other institutions because that's shared experience when I, when I first became involved in inspection work and consultancy work, advisory work, the biggest joy was going to lots of schools and thinking, oh, gosh, I'd never thought of that before. Here's a great idea. And then sharing that. Um, and the second outcome is, OK, there are some issues that we need to work on together for improvement. You've not failed. And I really, really dislike this word inadequate. It's a horrible word. I would never, ever say to a child, you're inadequate. Um, it's, it's an appalling word. Um, so how can we encourage again that? How can you develop and grow in terms of that? I, I will finish because it comes back to purpose, is that I really like that as a Dutch chap called Gert Biester, which I probably pronounced terribly badly, but he says there are three reasons for education. The first of those is to gain skills and qualifications, you know, these exam results and um, skills and procedures and concepts and all that kind of stuff that, you know, is very central to schooling. Of course, that's important. The second, he says, is it's important to learn how to socialise how to become a, a good member or a useful member of society. And of course, there's a huge philosophical debate on what that may or may not mean, a good member of society. But we have to do that. We have to interact. And children, we know, in, in, for example, in the early years that that socialisation aspect of working in, in groups and peers, as opposed to you know having your own toys, et cetera, is really important and growth. But the third is really interesting is Biesta also says is that we have to have this thing, he calls it subjectification, which is almost to sort of combat and challenge the existing system. Um, and I think, again, if we come back to sort of, as it were, this wider idea of homework, is if we're giving children those three opportunities to strengthen and develop their skills and concepts and knowledge and understandings, to help them become wider members of society. So, for example, at the moment, you know, homework around social justice or climate change or um, et cetera, et cetera, those kind of ideas. But then thirdly, giving them the critical skills to say, actually, my part of a child's job if it's a job, is to challenge the views of the grown-ups. Um, possibly naively, of course, we're all naive when we're young, but if we're not challenged, one of the joys of being a teacher, one of the joys of being a lecturer, is when your students or children say to you, do you know what? I don't agree because dot, dot, dot. So maybe ultimately that's where I'd like to see homework going, um, under Biesti in terms of qualification, socialisation and subjectification. Paul, what a great way to end. Can I just say thank you ever so much uh, for coming on the Independent Teacher Podcast. It's been brilliant chatting to you and lots of, of things that we could go into a lot more depth. Uh, it's been really fascinating. Thank you ever so much. More than welcome. And thanks very much for inviting me. It's a lovely way to spend a Tuesday morning. Thank you. You've been listening to the Independent Teacher Podcast. 
If you like listening to this podcast, please consider giving us a five-star rating either on Spotify or Apple Podcasts.